Welcome to the JLA cast, uh, in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. Um, my name's John, and I am a writer. I'm the creator of Afterlife Inc., and I am one fourth of Big Punch Studios. And I'm PJ. I uh, am also a writer. I've written the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars, and I am one whole of PJ. You are the singular PJ. You are you are self-contained, perfect, kind of I'm vibrating a, in a cosmic a vacuum. Brilliant, brilliant one shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, but the standalone PJ was really good. Like the later kind of miniseries didn't quite capture the original fire. It it was you know just uh, trying to too hard to be the same again and lightning she just left it. Yeah, lightning doesn't strike twice. We've got to just accept it and move on. PJ was great, you know, and then in 20 years' time, in 23 years' time, someone will do uh, a re-listen podcast of the life and times of PJ Montgomery. And that will be depressing for everyone. <laughs> no. Well, to be fair, like, you know, we haven't quite got to that kind of mid-season twist yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, in between all this absolute nonsense I'm spouting, um, what about that for an intro? We went right into it. We didn't didn't do two kind of hellos, which was some of the early teething problems. Yeah, only took us till our fourth episode to to figure out how to say hello. Yeah, but uh, we could choose not to count issue zero if we wanted. We released it, didn't we? We we released it. Yeah, no, exactly. Sorry, exactly. The world, we have to own it. Yeah. Um, but I've got to say, it's very good to be back, particularly particularly for. What promises to be quite an amazing episode issue, oh, he said. I, I am so excited. This is one of my favourite issues of the whole run. Uh, and I am so excited to be talking about it with you. This was, because I've mentioned several times now that I think I first read this uh, trade paperback in my school library. And I think a little part of me didn't, like it at first i think I, I was a bit kind of dismissive of it because i was like oh this isn't like this isn't spider-man this isn't <laughs> this isn't like the x-men oh the jla is so over the top and it's no this isn't right at all but there was this one really cool moment with batman that i just kept kind of telling people about and then gradually that kind of like all that self-denial kind of just kind of crumbled and i ended up kind of going back and reading it again and going like oh hang on a minute like this is something special. This is something else. This this particular issue has two moments that always always stuck with me. One is the Batman moment that I know is the one you're talking about. <laughs> um, and there's also an absolutely superb Flash moment in this oh issue God. 
and both of those all as soon as I read they just stuck with me and they're they're two of my favorite moments of all time for those two characters um yeah it's brilliant it is such I mean I guess I should save a little bit for the um analysis at the end but oh my god like this is such a a power play like you know if you were if you if you were the commissioning editor at this point this is when you go like "Mm, yes no, we we chose well here. <laughs> that Grand Morrison fellow, he's doing all right so far. Shall we get into it? Yeah, yeah. Do you do you want to do you want to kick us off, PJ? Do you want to do the honors? Let's do it. So, um, page one, we kick off straight away where we left off last time. The Hyper Clan have captured Superman. Uh, Protex used Kryptonite to bring Superman down, and we open on a couple of pages of well, it looks like. Superman sort of losing control of his x-ray vision because uh, you see two skeletons looking over him, one of which is Protex, you can tell from the speech bubble. Uh, and then the other one is Primade, and we know that because Protex says Primade. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I love how you're dissecting. This is like inside baseball. This is like how, how inside the writer's yeah. studio. How, <laughs> do you, how do you discern between these two characters? But Superman doesn't seem to realise that, and it soon becomes obvious that he's not in the best state. Um, And Protex actually says, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, that's one of the symptoms of advanced kryptonite poisoning. He's talking about being delirious and his eyes playing tricks on him. So uh, basically, Superman is a mess. And we get a super sweaty Superman. Yeah. One eye wide open, the other one sort of squinting a bit. He, he, He looks unwell. Yeah. Um, again, I'm ne- I'm never really sure where w- w- what I don't want to get too much into like the physiology of Superman, but like I think y- you don't really expect to see him sweating, like you know. No. And and I think uh, there's at least one moment later in the series where someone points out that if Superman is sweating, there's something wrong. So yes, I kind of imagine he's like he's always. I kind of imagine he just smells amazing. Like you know, he he just has like amazing body hygiene, which is nothing to do with him being an alien. He's just a very clean person. Yes. So the Hyperclan have him strapped in this weird contraption, some kind of torture chair, uh, and they've got the kryptonite in some kind of bubble held in place with two other little devices just above him, and the whole room is sort of covered in a green glow from it. Yeah, it's kind of wonderful. I mean. Now, we have no reason necessarily to assume that it is a torture chair. It doesn't look comfortable. No, no, it doesn't. It has some incredibly chunky uh, kind of arm restraints uh, to keep Superman in place. Um, But yeah, like it's classic like, oh no, our our daring hero, what's happened to him? Like it looks pretty, it it looks pretty bad. And uh, as Protex uh, kind of says, a nice kind of leading statement, no one is coming no one cares. You are alone at the end of the world. Completely alone. And they do look pretty happy. Protex they, and Primate, look, they, they're gloating. Yeah, I've got to say, it's nice to see... Uh, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. It's nice to see a villain. Yes, I'm saying it. I, I no longer believe, PJ, that the Hyper Clan are benevolent. <laughs> I think they should still turn out to be all right. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, bit, of a, it's a bit of a risky statement, but I'm, I'm putting myself out there. I think <laughs> they might be bad guys. And, uh, yeah, and it's nice to see them taking a, a bit of, you know, a bit of joy in their work because they both look very happy. And as we turn the page, however, uh, at the end of uh, Protex's statement of you are completely alone, 
we turn the page and we get a lovely full page splash image of Batman. He survived the plane crash? Well, as you know, my young self may have been confused because of course I never saw his you know, I never saw his reflection in the <laughs> in the cockpit of his downed ship. Uh, thankfully, you you taught me, PJ. You 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 opened my eyes. But no, he is he is alive and well, and kind of I guess perched at the top of some massive kind of spire. I think it's one of the outer struts of um, Zonzor, the the Hyperclan's watchtower base. Oh yeah. Again, I somehow never really appreciated. Well, the, the geography the, of that. The colouring's a bit different, and the way he's the the placing of Batman on the page doesn't show you a lot of what he's actually stood on. Do you think how much effort do you suppose Batman actually puts into finding a place not only to kind of gain vantage from, but also to look cool? I mean, at this point in his career, it's second nature, surely. <laughs> he doesn't, I mean, yeah. Early on, year one era, he'd keep on just crouching in slightly the wrong place and it wouldn't look cool. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <like> <laughs> half in, half out of, yeah. you know. it's um, Yeah, because it's like, he's making an entrance here. Uh, and I kind of like that, again, this is very nerdy, but I do kind of like that it's, it's a page, you know, when you're writing a comic, when you're making a comic, you always want to be efficient. You want to use as much space as possible. So if you're going to put a splash page, you know, it's got to be worth it. And it's kind of nice that there's absolutely no dialogue here. It really is just a statement piece of, boom, Batman's here. We're going to have yeah, some the, fun. No one's coming to save you. And then you get, hang on, hang on a sec. Here's Batman. Yeah, there is. Someone's coming to save him. And he instantly uh, leaps down. Into... Well, first we get the the title and the credits. Don't forget. Oh, John. of course. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, War of the Worlds. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, that could mean anything. I mean, we're continuing the neat little trend of the opening issues all being named after kind of classic uh, sci-fi movies. Yes. Uh, which is yeah, a nice little daft touch, which I don't think I ever really noticed back at the time. Um, no, it was it was several readings of this before I got that. Yeah, it's, it's nice to know that it can still surprise us after all this time. Um, but yeah, but obviously uh, Batman then leaps into action and begins gliding slash swinging slash breaking through windows his way into the structure. Yeah, and you get his internal monologue while he's doing it, which is basically him saying, the Hyperclan thinks I'm dead, I'm Batman. This is also the first time we've been inside his head yet, uh, yeah. so far in the series. And um, I'm trying to think about it, actually. I think with the exception of Aquaman and Jean, I think we spend a little bit of time inside everyone's head over these four issues. And it's nice to kind of hear their different, like, internal voices. Um. Maybe not Wonder Woman either, actually. I don't remember us getting inside her head in this no. story. No, you're right. She has that weird kind of caption in the previous issue where, you know, when she's she's thinking about the Coriolis effect. Before yeah, but she's third person rather than being from her. Hey, well, well, unless, of course, she narrates her own life in well, maybe. third person. It might, <laughs> it might be possible. I'm just saying, like, she has a lot of powers. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know what they all are. Um... But of course, I imagine pretty much any 
writer probably looks if they get the chance to play with the big toys yeah like there's probably a moment where when you're writing batman you're probably thinking oh yes like this is the big show this is my this is my moment yeah definitely and morrison uses this this page basically to to tell us everything you need to know about how he's using batman in this run because you get the first bit the hyperclan thinks he's dead and then a bit about how the Hyperclan only thinks of him as a normal human. They don't believe he's a threat, and they're wrong. But you then get the detective bit, where he, he goes on to say, The wreck of my plane provided me with everything I need, including the one clue that makes them vulnerable. I know exactly where they come from, I know who they are, and I'm coming in. Yeah, and I've I got to say, like, I, I'm... I, I I am a I am a I am a Batman fan. I, I it's it's so it's a weird thing to talk about because I think I think Batman certainly among all the superhero characters has a real potential to be overdone. Like there is a lot of Batman. We're certainly not starving for Batman uh, content. And for me, he is so much less interesting when he's just rich guy who punches people. Like I like my Batman. I like being inside his head and it's why I've always kind of enjoyed Morrison's Batman so much because you realise that what makes him, I guess, so interesting and I guess so kind of dangerous is not because he's strong, not because he's rich, not because he's a good fighter, but just it's the way he thinks. Yes. Yeah, it's like, it's just so good. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I just love it. I love, I love spending time with him when kind of Morrison's behind the wheel. And I think JLA shows that better than anywhere else because there is, technically, looking at it on a superficial level, there is no reason for Batman to be on this team. There is no reason for the Justice League to need a guy who throws batarangs and punches people with normal human-level strength. Why would they need that? But that's not why Batman's in the Justice League. Yeah, he's he's, you know... He's there because he can pay for, th- <laughs> for things. <laughs> I can't think of any other reason why he'd be here. Um, I've got to say also, I mean, we talked a little bit in previous episodes about how Howard Porter hadn't quite kind of found his groove yet with a couple of the characters. Like, he was still kind of like experimenting and working out what worked. Yeah. Like, I do feel these two pages in particular, like you can see that his Batman is starting to solidify. It's the moment he he crashes through the big round orange window, for me. That is um, that is pure perfect Batman. Where where do you stand on Batman having little shoulder kind of spiky bits, like uh, like his cape naturally kind of pokes up on his shoulders? I mean, it it depends who's drawing him. I think the way Porter does it in JLA, I I quite like it. It works. There are other artists who've done it where it gets way too exaggerated and it just doesn't. um, It just makes absolutely no sense to me. I I can't remember. I think it might be um, Sam Keith, I think, did a run on Batman around the Contagion contagion era around then. And I like Sam Keith. I think he's a great artist. But the, the... pointy bits on the shoulders were too much yeah it starts to get almost like surrealist after a while like uh like this is more like the idea of batman rather than a practical costume you would actually kind of wear yeah 
he did go through a phase, and I can't, it's really killing me now. It may have been Mark Buckingham, or I'm, I'm dreaming, but when he had like absolutely, maybe it was Sam Keith, when he had absolutely massive head head horns as well. Yeah, like, that was that was the Sam Keith. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, super stylish, but yeah, you actually think about practically, like even just get entering a room would be a challenge. And I think here, Porter gets the length of the ear, uh, the cowl pointy ear bits absolutely spot on there. They're, they're long enough to be a clear part of his silhouette, but not so long that they look ridiculous. Oh, my God. It's just, yeah, it's just beautiful. I, I, I Yeah, I, I really, I'm trying very hard not to devolve into pure fanboying uh, yeah. at this point, because I'd like to think we can we can bring a bit more to it than that. But, like, there are times when I, I'm just looking at these pages now and I'm just kind of drinking them in. Like, they are, they're so good. Just the right balance between, like, the weird excesses of the 90s and just yeah pure brilliance like i love it and then you've you've got this weird panel as well like at the bottom of the page where he's suddenly surrounded by these red mechanical jellyfish things and this yeah. is as he says i know who they are and i'm coming in you don't see those again the assumption is just batman trashes these things but it's a, just a nice little touch for the fact that he's in some kind of alien he's fighting his way through some kind of alien stronghold yeah, and I guess we can kind of assume, piecing together what little we know, we can kind of assume that these came with the tower. Like, yeah. you know, because the, the Hyper Clan, as far as we know, and we have no reason to doubt them, they are just superhumans. Like, where did all these weird floating jellyfish robots come from that talk in a unique alien language? It's all very, like, this is weird. <laughs> exactly. I, but, but I'm sure they're being honest with us. I'm sure it's all just a misunderstanding. Yeah, they're um, good guys. They, of course they are. No, it'll be fine. Um, but as we uh, leave Batman, we cut suddenly to, again, picking right up where the previous issue left, we cut to the super speed battle between The Flash and Zoom. Not Zoom from The Flash, <laughs> but Zoom with Z-U-umlaut-M yes. from the Hyperclan. As we said before, the Hyperclan have an appreciation of the German language. So, Zum, or Zoom, um, the two of them are racing, well, you know, frankly, just around the planet. Yes. Um, I'd often wondered about this sort of thing, like how a fight between two people who have to run in order to activate their powers actually works. Like... Thankfully, I've not been. I've not been in many fights in my life. And have you not been in any super speed fights, John? No, I've I've never been in a running fight. Oh either. well. <laughs> well. Meanwhile, on the mean streets of Cardiff, you know. P- Damn PJ, right. Get with the program. Uh, tell me, PJ, how does a um, how does a, uh, a a running fight work? Well, I start running. I trip over. The other guy wins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Thankfully, the Flash has a little bit of experience with this because he hasn't tripped over yet. Although he does come, he does come close. Uh, so we have uh, we step inside Wally's head, and uh, now we learn that uh, you know he does this thing like I'm the Flash. I was the fastest man on Earth until he touched down, and we get this uh, fun little kind of panel of the two of them kind of moving in a in a blur, like in the space between seconds, like down a, a street. And yeah, you, you can just sort of make out they've got the the 
sort of their own speed fields around them, but you can just make out sort of silhouettes on the left-hand side of the page through Zoom's uh, Zoom speed barrier. And I do like how, I think we mentioned this again before, but I do like how, such a small thing, but their energy crackles are different. Like yes. what, yeah, flashes are golden and zooms are kind of silvery blue. And we get like a really, now again, talking about the stuff that happens between panels, we get a lovely three panel setup here where all we see are the burning energy kind of marks along the floor, like the kind of scorch lines of the two yep. of them running. Um, but the lines cross across three panels and three separate locations. We get like, I'm guessing like uh, it's meant to be Scotland or something. Yeah, a uh, castle on a wooded hill and they've run across the water. And what I like is you get a, one small caption on each each panel. So you get, unlike No Man's Gang, he's real and fast on the first one. And then the second panel is just really. And then the third panel is really fast. <laughs> and it, we so we see like in the third panel, uh, I guess it looks somewhere kind of vaguely Mediterranean, maybe like Morocco or so. Yeah. And uh, you see a gentleman dropping a, a vase, which is kind of like, uh, which is just kind of like falling, like frozen in in uh, in midair. Um, do we want to draw some attention very quickly to, well, PJ, who who is no man? You don't know. Well, I no, I don't. <laughs> um, we'll get to that. I think. Yeah. So we'll just say like, put a pin in that, shall we say? Like, uh, there will be. Don't don't forget, no man. There'll be mention of him. There, there definitely will be. There definitely will be mention of him. But uh, yeah. So then we. Um, we we kind of step. We're inside Flash's head, and we see that we see him react to things that Zoom is doing. So Zoom starts throwing bricks at Wally, um, <laughs> which is great. Wally says he must have grabbed them from that building site in Beijing, um, but he's also aware he, he he says he can't vibrate through them because at the moment, if the Flash vibrates through something, that something then explodes. Yeah, we we kind of forget Flash has like some weird powers. Oh, he does. Like some he's not entirely just fast guy. Like he has some mad superpowers. So he he starts um it's not really clear what he what he does with the bricks. I guess he just dodges them. I guess so. Like his speed line is his speed trail goes all kind of wobbly yeah. for a minute. So I assume he's just kind of and again because you know, he's thinking about the common man he doesn't want to leave like little bombs behind him while he's going yeah. so he dodges around stuff and then zoom starts kind of modulating his frequencies to create like a strobe effect to disorientate wally yeah wally wally sort of realizes that zoom he he thinks zoom must have some kind of military training because he's thinking tactically and wally sort of at this point is just reacting it is kind of fun. Uh, do you reckon, like, um, I kind of imagine that Grant Morrison just, like, drew up a list of fun, weird, quasi-scientific things you could do yeah. with speed, and then kind of just jammed them all into one scene. Like, kind of, I don't know, kind of like, so many good ideas here that you could hang an entire series upon them. Like, you could spend a whole issue, like, exploring just one, and they are 
gone, gone, gone like that in the span of panels. Yes, and that will happen throughout this run. There's there's stuff that other people would, would use as the hook for a whole story, and Morrison uses it as a throwaway thing. So, so PJ, what happens? It looks like uh, Wally is starting to struggle a little bit. He is. He, th- there's a panel here at the bottom of the page where Wally sort of is on his knees. He says, don't lose it, West. Break the rhythm. He's, he's clearly struggling, and he, see, he says, I need tricks, I need to remember my science, or I'm history. And then, I love this next page so much. Oh my god. Like, I think, again, reading this as a, as a, as a, as a kid, I was like, my initial reaction is, oh, this is so over the top, it's ridiculous, I can't take this comic seriously. And then... And then I very quickly came to my senses and realised this is so over the top, it's amazing. Like, I never want to read anything else. Like, this is... It's just incredible. And again, I wonder... Do you think... I kind of... I have to believe that this is the first time Flash has tried this particular trick in comics. I think so, yeah. Because it's it's a very Grant Morrison-y kind of idea. And I know for a fact it's been done again like i seem to remember like after this moment forever seeing references to what happens when flash starts abusing uh was it general relativity basically yes because he starts accelerating towards light speed what i like as well is just before he starts he thinks of barry and I love that little touch. He, he, it's almost without saying that's what's happening. He's getting inspiration from Barry Allen. Yeah, because it, it is a uh, because he mentions how Barry used to drop little useless bits of information every now and then, which he called like flash facts. That's that's kind of true, isn't it? Like he did he did do that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I remember reading some old Flash comics where uh, he would give Wally little nuggets of wisdom and, and refer to them as flash facts. So, Flash starts accelerating, again, towards light speed. And as he's running, you get this weird kind of, like, stream of consciousness kind of thought process that's coming out of him. And he starts talking about the speed field forming around him. Which... Uh, yeah, Which sorry. says to me that they hadn't actually come up with the idea of the speed force at this point, or it wasn't called the speed force. Because mm. that's a huge part of the Flash mythology, or I always thought. But it looks like they haven't actually done that yet. Well, or that's only just starting. It's hard to say, unless they would unless the point of it was just to kind of drive it home to the reader. Um I don't know, because it, it's interesting because and again, this is getting into some real kind of like DC level geekery or whatever. But like, The Flash is the fastest man alive. And his powers are all about being fast. You know, okay, sorry, pretty basic concept there. <laughs> but Superman is also incredibly fast. Like, Wonder Woman is incredibly fast. Like, the DC universe is known for having some incredibly powerful beings in it. Uh, more so in the Marvel Universe, I feel. And yet, there is something that distinguishes just, say, Superman, who is a very strong person who can move quickly, from The Flash, who has this connection to something kind of bigger than moving in a conventional sense. So I've I've just looked it up. 
And apparently the Speed Force itself was first introduced in 1994, so it was a few years before this. But it looks like they didn't refer to it, or they hadn't given it the unified name of the Speed Force for a little while. So this may have been, I mean, because, and okay, now I'm I'm betraying some of my, my lack of knowledge here, because Grant Morrison did work on a Flash series, did he not? Uh, Basically, at one point... Um, they swapped books. Uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Wade swapped. So Mark Wade did some JLA and Grant Morrison did some Flash. And I've, I've read some of Morrison's Flash. There's a three-story arc where he basically has the Flash race Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> it's right. not actually Sonic, but it's um, it's supposed distinct. to be... Yeah, it's like this this little energy dude who is from outer space and likes to race speedsters. But it's clearly drawn to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I, I, I will have to find the issues later, and 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 we'll we'll stick a footnote on or something somewhere to let people know which issues they are. But yeah, Grant Morrison did a Flash okay. versus Sonic the Hedgehog story. Okay, that 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 is yeah. How did I not know that existed? But Peter, you've just blown my mind here. So are you saying? And I genuinely didn't know that. Know this? Are you saying that the reason why? Uh, later in this series, um, Mark Wade steps in for about six issues or something like that. Is that yeah. was that because of a, a a kind of predetermined swap of creative teams? That is, um, yeah, that is wow. what I read anyway at the time. My God, I I somehow assumed again, PJ, you teach me so much. Uh, I kind of assumed that it was because of like i don't know i guess like illness or like a holiday or i don't know they were they'd fallen behind schedule or something like that i wow i didn't i didn't realize there you go teaching you, go. you something new every time we're constantly learning um but sorry pj uh teach me some more what starts happening as flash uh, accelerates so well i mean he goes faster than zoom to start with, uh, Flash, in his own words, relativistic. Uh, I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> and can you name all the hyperclan? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> relativistic effects take over as a body approaches light speed. Visual input will begin to blue shift and my body's mass will increase towards infinity. And he basically runs around the world to catch up and come back up behind Zoom, and then says, there's Zoom at the end of a tunnel of compressed photons. I, like, this is what, to me, this is what superhero comics should be. Like, this is so gloriously wonderful and stupid and creative at the same time. Like, this is about doing the impossible. (laughs) And right now, as you say... He says, uh, I could flash his thinking, and he says, I could hit him a thousand times before he had a chance to blink. And he also points out that at this speed, I will appear to him as a continuous beam of light. Yeah. Wally is basically orbiting the planet right now as a continuous beam of light. And as he says, his mass is going up to infinity, and he just punches Zoom. Catches him and punches him. And there is reference to the fact that Zoom has, as well as being this fast, he is as tough as Superman. He has the strength, he has the the, uh, invulnerability. 
But if you're hitting someone with a human-sized fist that happens to weigh infinity tons, that's going to do some damage. And we get another absolutely incredible page here where the punch connects and we see Zoom literally going into orbit. Like, just kind of leaving Earth's atmosphere. So I think the idea is that when the punch connects, they're around Mount Rushmore looking at the artwork, uh, and then Zoom lands in Africa. Yeah, uh, next to a herd of zebra. Uh, it's amazing. It is beautiful. And I, I have to say, like, even just some of the weird creativity in the panel layouts here, like, like I can't get, I can't get the impression that Howard Porter was trying, like, a load of weird stuff at the moment. Like, like the fact that we, this vertical panel arrangement, it's quite kind of simultaneously quite cramped while also giving like an odd sense of scale it's, it's very cleverly done i have to say it's it's brilliant and uh, super speed i've always found certainly the, at the speed the flash goes is a difficult one to even in a static image where you're not really you're just drawing a moment it can be really tricky to get right and i think it's something that howard porter does really well oh yeah no he is absolutely exceeding himself here and yeah, just, yeah, the sheer impact, like the fact that Zoom just leaves this absolutely massive crater, smoking crater, like a meteorite when it when he lands. And um, and Flash has probably just the perfect kind of narration at this point, because he goes, wonder how fast he's travelling. At least seven miles per second. That's escape velocity, by the way. Flash fact. It's brilliant. It's, it's so much fun. And just... And again, the value for money you get from this scene and, and just like the amount they're able, the amount of stuff they're able to pack in because we suddenly cut back to, well, let's say Morocco. Yeah. And we cut back to that panel, that frozen moment in time where a guy was dropping a vase. And over the course of three panels, because time is, you know, starting to reassert itself, we see this vase falling and then suddenly the Flash's hands, like leap in and catch it just before it hits the ground yeah and i hadn't it's one of the things i didn't pick up on until a while ago if i'm uh, sorry um until like fourth or fifth time i read this is that that's the same guy dropping the same vase from three pages ago oh and pj even i know even i spotted that one (laughs) hey there's got to be something you spot that i don't i know i'm I'm repaying my knowledge debt slowly and yeah the fact that all of that the defeat of zoom happens in such a short space of time that flash can still get back and catch that same vase is amazing i think like again like just in general like i think kind of superheroes at their worst are just people punching each other like if you actually boil down, there are only so many superhero powers, and I think a lot of them are just kind of like strong, quick, fast, uh, you know, kind of flying. Which is why I always find such joy when they find a way to use the powers creatively. You know, it's more than just um, it's more than just Pokemon cards. Like, it's more than just kind of top trumps. It's not like who's got the higher stat in strength. It's thinking creatively that makes them kind of great heroes yeah and flash demonstrates that so well here and then just the fact that he does go back and catch this guy's vase so it doesn't break 
It's just a nice it's thing the, to do. It's the small acts. <laughs> it's the little things that stick with us. Do you know what, John? Maybe the JLA are the good guys and the hyper well, clan are the bad guys. Well, PJ, you know, it's important to remember there are two sides to every argument. And, <laughs> you know, I think we just need to present, you know, I think people just, you know, we need a platform. We just need to let the hyper, hyper clan say their piece and then we'll, um, you know, we'll let the public decide. Before we leave the flash, I have checked and uh, check out the flash numbers 136 to 138, three-part story called The Human Race, written by Grant Morrison and Mark Miller, Flash versus Sonic the Hedgehog. I, okay, I will absolutely have to. Oh my God, what a time to be alive. That's your homework, <laughs> everyone. Go track that down. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so to conclude Flash's amazing moment, uh, he hangs the vase back to the guy, says... You know, Linda would love this part, and I would stay to haggle, but I'm fighting for the future of humanity. Gotta run. And then he just zips off panel. Leaving a very confused uh, shopkeeper. I mean, you would be, really. You'd be wondering what the hell is going on. Um, but PJ, we, we, we cut back to everyone's favourite uh, crab-faced Green Lantern, Mr. Kyle Rayner. Now, when last we met, met Kyle in the Gobi Desert in issue two, uh, he had a grappling hook around his neck. Yes, he was being choked, and he didn't seem massively happy about it. By Zenturian. Ooh, PJ, nicely done, nicely done. And uh, who's that coming Armec. up behind him? Armec, nicely done. Okay, top marks, top marks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so again, we step inside Green Lantern's head, and we get this really nice moment where... I kind of like the fact that while he's being choked by this rope around his neck, uh, he's kind of like gesturing backwards with his ring uh, to make a giant pair of scissors appear. (laughs) And then also to make like a vice around Zenturian's head. Yeah, I love it. I think it's such a... I don't know. I was always wondering. I was never entirely sure whether Zenturian was screaming in pain because his head was being crushed or he was shouting because his head was about to be crushed um i'm gonna go with shouting because he's about to be crushed yeah like he's got a bit of it doesn't look like the vice is quite on him yet no that's true and actually come to think of it in the next panel you see him kind of wrestling with the vice around his head which again somehow i'd never noticed before just trying to pull it off I've got to say also, Zenturian in that bottom panel, quite a chunky boy. <laughs> like he is he is drawn a lot wider in that panel than I believe he has been in previous panels. Maybe he's got the power to inflate himself to try and get out of vices. Yeah, maybe he's like squeezing mask down out of his head yeah. into his massive pecs to try it. <laughs> Again, it was the nineties. I'm sure this kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, but yeah, so uh, so we were inside Kyle's head while he while he does this, and um, he talks about how supervillains are getting super vi- violent nowadays, which they were in a lot of comics. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not really something the nineties can be proud of. I think when suddenly there was a lot of murder and torture, well, and Kyle here references. An infamous incident that has since become its own pop culture term. So he has this this thought: What happened to crazy jewel heists and dumb traps? 
now they murder your girlfriend and stuff her in a fridge for kicks. Yeah. Which happens in like the second issue of Greenlands and where Kyle gets the ring. His girlfriend, who was introduced an issue before, is killed and her body put in a fridge for no reason other than to give him a reason to to keep going, to do his hero thing. And it led to the term fridging. Yeah, and I think what makes that even more egregious is that Kyle's character, at least in JLA, is never informed by the fact that he had a he lost his girlfriend. Like tragically. No, like it's it, a pointless thing. She's she's there to just die and it has no effect on anything. Yeah, like because it's weird because I'm I'm aware culturally of that story decision, like the choice they made to do that. And yet I've never read those issues of Green Lantern where the fridging, the infamous fridging happens. So my my exposure to Kyle has predominantly been through the pages of JLA. And he never, ever came across to me as a character tortured by the loss of someone who was very dear to him. Like He's, he's not. I've got a lot of his run, including that story. Um, and I've read a lot a lot of it and other than him getting a bit rage filled when that incident happens which is fair um it doesn't really come up much afterwards no and it's weird because it it, it actually is quite lazy like i guess kind of most most superheroes have lost someone like it just seems to be like the default kind of character motivation but this is no kind of like uncle ben or anything like kyle's interesting character development in the JLA has been dealing with like his own sense of inadequacy like rather than you know trying to make up for a you know like a great power great responsibility kind of situation like it you can he's an interesting character without needing like a tragic backstory yeah it's yeah it's such such an odd choice um and besides even in on this page like he seems mostly over it yeah, that's it. He, it's that's why the the term fridging came up. Now it's it refers to a character, usually female, who either exists briefly only to then die, or has had previous story but is then basically killed off entirely to serve another character's story without any real development or reason for it. And it's lazy writing. Yeah, to be honest, it really is. And and, and certainly when. Yeah, as we said, like, you know, Flash, uh, sorry, uh, Kyle just trying to measure up to the people around him is kind of like, is development enough? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I, I love him anyway without thinking he needed some kind of misery in his life to make him a hero. And that's why we get a really, it's great that we get a really cool Kyle moment at the end of this page. Uh, I should also say very quickly, I do like how uh, Zenturian while his head is about to be crushed by a giant plasma vice, uh, shouts that um, this one creates plasma sculptures with his own power ring. And the ring has a flaw which makes it powerless against the colour yellow. And again, it's a very small thing, but I always like it when characters have more knowledge that indicates they have a wider understanding of the universe. Like, we know that the Hyperclan know what Daxamites are, based on a previous episode, and we know now that they are aware of the Owen power rings. And, the and their weakness to yellow. Yes, it's very interesting. It kind of suggests that 
they've gotten around a bit. But uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Guess whose ring is not weak against the colour yellow. So, Armek turns himself yellow. Which is great. Which is great. Like, it's stupid and wonderful. And again, like, the whole yellow weakness... I know they've done a lot with that since and the emotional yeah. spectrum, but the, the whole kind of, like, this guy needs a weakness. Like, he's too powerful. Like, we have to give classic Green Lantern a weakness. So the whole kind of yellow thing is was always a little bizarre. Um, it, it's very obvious. It's, it's something from the early 60s that just stuck. And it's yeah. just... Yeah, and, and like, well, original Green Lantern as well, the one from the... the the thirties, he um, oh, it was he, wood. It was wood. Yeah, he yeah. yellow was fine, but wood. Oh no! And again, I was always curious about that. Like, was it like you couldn't if you hit a plasma sculpture with something yellow, would it fall apart? Was that the idea? Or I think so. Um, but I, I'm I'm basing this purely on there's um, I read an old issue of the Flash. I think from the seventies, where he teams up with Green Lantern, and, yeah. But there are evil Green Lantern clones running around as well for some reason. I cannot remember the details of that, but I do remember um, Barry realizes he, that the guy he's teamed up with is one of the evil clan clowns clones clowns. Oh, oh my god, today. not the evil clown clone clan. Yeah, one of the evil Green Lantern clones right. because Green Lantern makes a path for him to run on, and his boots are yellow, so he shouldn't have been able to. Wow. So does that not mean that the clones are better? Yes. But <laughs> right. Okay. But they're I, evil. So I, I better but evil. Um. I remember having a bizarre little hardback oversized DC comic, which I think had some like reprints from like the 80s in it. And I, I think someone got it in like a car boot sale or something. It was a really weird find that I had as a kid. But it had a Superman and Green Lantern Hal Jordan team up from the 80s or 70s, uh, where, again, there was a shape-shifting alien and it stole Green Lantern's identity and his powers to take down Superman. And Superman was able to say, you know, fight back by taking off his cape and wrapping it around his own hand to the point where the yellow shield on his back was around his fist. <laughs> and, and then he was able to just like basically block Green Lantern's blasts with his fist, I sa he, he said. Okay. <laughs> okay, I mean, so clearly you don't need a lot of yellow. No. Um, and Kyle, frankly, isn't having any of this because uh, he summons uh, an amazing giant green energy mech, which is it's brilliant. Float yeah, and he's just kind of floating in the middle of it. And again, as good as Kyle, the very concept of what Kyle does with the ring, as good as that is, Every artist must have been absolutely dreading it because it means I can't just draw bubbles. I've got to draw weird, complex stuff all the time. But at the same time, I get the feeling like in this one, Porter had fun. He was like, yeah, I'll design a mech. Cool. A mech which we will only see for like a couple of panels. It's, Two it's panels. wonderful. Yeah. Again, so many throwaway things. But as Kyle says, I'm your worst nightmare, pal. I'm a manga nut with a power ring. <laughs> and he just whacks Armek out. It's one punch. 
one punch i mean it it's it's amazing like and this is when i kind of like just totally fell in love with the concept of green lantern i was like this is so cool like i am a hundred percent on board with this i also love the the next moment what kyle does next here because again it's just a very pure cool hero moment because we've already established that the hyperclan are mind controlling people so when green lantern takes down armek instead of people saying how can we ever thank you, Green Lantern, as his internal monologue says. <laughs> they say, he hurt Harmek and Zenturian. He's one of the Justice League. Kill him. Now, PJ, they they still may not be the bad guys. They, they, I mean, are we even <laughs> going to bother now keeping up the pretense? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as you said, uh, Kyle doesn't want to hurt these people, even though he knows they're being, he knows they're being mind controlled. So he makes like a, giant maze yeah, to contain them big green maze it's brilliant how how like i often wondered like because he leaves the scene in a bit like how long do you reckon that maze sticks around for or does he have to be actively thinking about it constantly to keep it going um there's an element of concentration to it i remember i seem to recall but i guess it'll disappear once once he's yeah either out of range or stops thinking about it yeah, because it's not like, I mean, like, Spider-Man's webs are meant to dissolve after an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like, um, yeah, I I, I kind of like, I like I like the fact that I know Green Lantern could seem overpowered because of, you know, the ability to generate anything. And certainly that's something which Morrison really pushes. Yeah. Uh, the idea that you don't necessarily have to know how it functions in order to make it. Like the ring fills in the blanks. Like, if you had to, if you have the ability to make anything but you had to have a degree in engineering to build a robot. Like, that wouldn't be fun. I like the idea that his only limitation is his imagination. And yet, he has to be able to think. Like, I can't hold two thoughts in my head at any given moment. Like, trying to generate multiple constructs must be really tricky. I can barely hold one. <laughs> what, what are we doing again? <laughs> I have no memory. <laughs> Who are the JLA? Um, but then uh, Zenturian, everyone's favourite knockoff Captain America... Uh, chucks his shield towards Kyle. And Kyle realises he took his eyes off Centurion and Armek, and they, he doesn't have time to react. And he gets decapitated by the shield. <laughs> and the series ends. Um, but no, um, again, as, as you're saying, PJ, like the, the wonderful thing they do when the Flash is moving super quickly, where someone's dialogue starts to slow down and break yeah. down over multiple panels where suddenly Flash is there and he's just caught Zenturian's shield in kind of midair before he could hit Kyle. And he says, uh, that's the second time I've saved your butt today, gangrene. Which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Kyle um, has, a, has a nice little burn here where he goes, hey, he can run fast and count. Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> which I've always kind of liked. And he says, the name's Green Lantern, okay. Let's get into that transmitting station and cause some damage. And Flash, without even looking, just chucks the shield back over his shoulder and clocks Zenturian right in the face. It's brilliant. It's so good. And, and then they uh, go off to cause some damage. They do, they do. And it's interesting, that because they're both kind of like needling each other. Yeah. But... They're also starting to build like a working relationship. Yes. Like, uh, and when Flash goes, 
sure, and I'm Cindy Crawford. And Kyle just goes, after you, Miss Crawford. <laughs> it's just such a nice, daft little moment. Um, followed by another amazing picture of the two of them running up, flying, running and flying up the side of the massive fortress. Yeah. So cool. And key information Flash gives us, those guys are going to recover pretty soon. Knocking them down is one thing, but I get the feeling they won't stay there long. And I do like that Kyle is kind of enjoying himself. He's getting a little cocky now. Yeah, because he says, like, ah, so what? Like, I'm feeling pretty pumped. Which, again, kind of proves that he's not an especially traumatised character. Like, he's yeah. having he's having fun right now. Um, and yeah, and he's even, even drawn with a little smile on his face there. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I think I would be Kyle in this scenario. Because <laughs> I am kind <laughs> of, like, the sheer... Like, you'd be terrified, but also, like, the sheer joy... Like, you know, where you... I have powers. Like, I literally have superpowers because I gained a magic ring. Like, you would be enjoying yourself constantly, I believe. Until they find what they presume to be a monitor room where they see some kind of... I believe it's supposed to be a news report showing Protex and Primade stood over Superman announcing after his attempt to destroy the Bangladesh Dam and kill Protex, Superman was finally captured and subdued. Well, I'm now, glad. I, I, don't, well, I, I, I don't remember seeing him try to destroy the Bangladesh Dam. That's they not... have no reason to lie, PJ. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get suspicious, if I'm honest. <laughs> Why have you got to be so sceptical, PJ? I mean, like, you know, these people are just... You know, all this slander and hearsay against the Hyper Clan. Like, I, I, I think they're kind of, I think they're all right. You know. And then, oh, hang on, we'll be covering the trial and <laughs> execution. They're going to execute Superman. That's not cool. Yeah, that seems a little. Um, does that not seem like a bit presumptive? If you're having the trial, if you've already scheduled the trial and the execution, maybe we could just skip the trial. I mean, that's probably for the ratings. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever since they started allowing cameras into courtrooms, yeah. you know, it all went downhill. Um, and Green Lantern, in a, in a, I mean, hot damn, like, what a gloriously 90s facial expression. Yeah. Um, where he is kind of roaring in anger, kind of in anger or shock or something. It's, it's weird, like, one page where we get two very different faces on Kyle. Um, but, yeah, he just points out that this is all uh, totally bogus. Because, again, it was the 90s. And how can people fall for this? Mind control. Mind we control. It's got to be mind control. And Flash, meanwhile, is starting to mess around with the computers, yeah. basically. And he discovers that the reason they weren't able to find where the um, the mind control signals were being broadcast from, other than we knew they were in orbit, is that they're not technically in conventional space they are elsewhere they're in a a kind of hyperspace if you will in orbit around the planet which kyle reasons is uh, how the the ones who attacked the satellite were able to appear out of nowhere which is the first indication actually we've had that the ones who attacked the satellite were not actually the hyper clan yes indeed and again it's almost like these little throwaway moments like they talk about how the original UFO that, that that appeared over the White House uh, kind of just appeared out of nowhere, or that, like, these people just appeared out of nowhere. Like, it's actually kind of interesting that 
that you can say that in a lot of scenarios and it doesn't really mean anything untoward. You just go like, oh, they just took us by surprise or they got here quickly. But here they are actually drawing attention to the fact that, no, 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 as in like they seemingly just teleported. Like they just kind of appeared from where we don't know. But I guess now we know that they are stepping sideways between realities, if you will, and just suddenly appearing behind you. And then there's time for just another nice little moment where Kyle says to Wally, how did you get that thing to work first time? And Wally says, I didn't. I just tried a thousand different combinations at super speed. There we go. And 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 Wally, being a, a very inquisitive mind, realises that the guys that Green Lantern fought in orbit with Wonder Woman, they had superpowers. So he's saying, what if what if there are actually a lot more of the Hyper Clan? Or what if there are a lot more beings like them? That there might be hundreds of individuals with the same superpowers as the Hyper Clan, and they might be hiding in orbit. Like he's saying, this is actually an invasion. Like this is flax out an invasion, and we could be in real trouble. And they are in trouble because Zenturian and Armex have woken up. I've got to say, I do. I don't want to advocate too much kind of like violence from my heroes, but I've often wondered where where we stand on kneecaps because if I was. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, how many times in fiction have your heroes knocked out the bad guy, left them alone, and then they instantly return to cause havoc? I'm just saying, like, if you broke all their fingers, or maybe (laughs) a kneecap or two, they're probably still going to wake up and they're going to cause trouble, but it would be a lot harder if they can't walk or use their hands. And this is why you're not in the JLA. <laughs> okay, damn it. This is why my essay was rejected. <laughs> um, but we we cut then to, well, the most wonderful device, uh, the Flower of Wrath. Do you say Roth or Wrath? Uh, wrath. Wrath. Thank you, thank you. Um, which is just a wonderful, wonderful name. I cannot tell you how much I love it for such a horrible and sadistic-looking machine. We we can assume from this panel that uh, Zentirian and Armek beat Flash and Green Lantern because the Flower of Wrath is in Zonzor and Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are lying in the petals of the flower. Yeah, it kind of... It, it basically looks like, oh, we have a ton of needles pointing outwards... And then when the petals close, everyone is just kind of like pressed into a nasty alien Iron Maiden kind of thing. And you get a weird little line where Armex says, as he puts Flash into the machine, this is the last one. When they realised their comrade was a traitor, the fight left them. It was easy. Hmm. Yeah. And Protex is quick to point out to Superman, who he is holding in his own special little chair with the kryptonite, just to torture him, your faithful Martian Manhunter has betrayed you. And again, we don't actually see that. So we we have to kind of trust Protex's words, basically. We, we saw the beginnings of a conversation between Jean and Protex last issue, but yeah, we, we haven't seen Jean with the HyperClan. We do, however. Oh, P- PJ, look at this. It's your favourite character. It's Amortal. Oh, hi, Aim Mortal. And not only is he the cool, brooding, 
skull dude with Kirby dots, which I hadn't really appreciated, kind of like rippling out of his cloak. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also is the guy who does like their admin, it would appear, because he is... <laughs> oh, that's what the A stands for, admin Oh mortal. my god, admin <laughs> Please, it's Mr. Admin Mortal to you. Um, who is basically, uh, while everyone's having a good old gloat, he's working on a machine... And he's a little worried about something because he points out that we've lost five defense drones on the upper level. We should have made sure that Batman was dead. What if it's him? So those jellyfish things were defense drones. Ah. Do you wonder, like, if villains just can't help themselves? Like, Oh, they you, definitely can't. It's like that moment where you, you realize, oh, we did it again. You know, we 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 didn't tie up a loose end. You always tie up loose ends. My God. Um, but that's right. They're about to tie up a loose end. Yeah, because Protex is, again, just... He came so close, but he almost had a perfect score. But he's basically saying, look, why the hell should we worry about Batman? Like, he's he's nothing. Like, he really isn't nothing. Like, I can, I can destroy a mountain. Why should I care about Batman? His exact words are a pathetic, fragile creature. Yeah, so, um, but apparently a mortal is quite fastidious. Ad- admin mortal. Admin mortal is quite fastidious. He likes dotting the eyes. You know, he knows he'll have a hell of a time explaining this to accounting if they can't, you know, track everybody and every receipt. So he says, look, you know, I'm just going to go check. It won't take long. <laughs> and um, Protex is like, oh, okay, do what you want. But if he has survived, uh, I'd like you to cripple him and bring him back here. And then we'll stick him on the Flower of Wrath. See that whole cripple thing you were talking about just now? That's that's a bad guy move. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think he could be a bad guy. <laughs> and a mortal takes the elevator because again, you know, he he believes in proper protocol. You know, you don't run downstairs. And he, he takes he takes the elevator down, and we see those jellyfish again, but they have batarangs sticking out of them. Yes, and they're sparking, and, and they they they're down. And a, a admin mortal. Just goes, I know you're here, Batman. I can taste your pheromones. I can see through walls. Don't waste our time. Do you really think you can hide from me? And he turns around and we see Batman hiding gloriously in shadow behind a pillar. And a mortal, admin mortal, sorry, has spotted him. Now, PJ, I feel you should really take the reins here because we this is this is this is the moment you've been you've been you've been waiting for. Oh, it's just so beautiful. So it cuts then. You flip the page. And Protex is being a creep. He's gloating over Wonder Woman. Which is really weird, actually. Usual, it seems a shame to destroy this one. And it's you, absolute creep, Protex. And then there's a whole load of villain spiel about rivers running red with blood. (laughs) And, you know, our ships will come from the skies. This is a bad guy. Yeah. But then uh, Primate realises a mortal hasn't reported, and Tronics. Oh yeah, I remember the names now. I'm Somewhere. very impressed. Oh, and uh, Tronics, Centurion, and oh, the one I can't remember. Oh, PJ, nearly a clean a clean streak. Um, Fluxus, Fluxus, them. Yep. Uh, they Tronics says, "Oh, Batman must be tougher than we think. I'd like to see how tough." So Tronics, Fluxus, and Centurion all go off to find a mortal. And this is a moment I absolutely love. (laughs) You get the panel of the three of them flying off. 
Protex saying, this is insane, we must have a communications failure. A mortal's playing some kind of stupid joke. Batman, Batman, and then the next panel, he says, he's only a man. But we're not looking at Protex, we're looking close up on Superman's face, and Superman is smiling. <laughs> and that look is everything to me. Professional, mutual respect and trust. Like... I love it so much. <laughs> like this is this is a a comic about saving world and b a comic about having a decent working environment because everyone in the JLA, particularly Superman and Batman, trusts each other implicitly. It's so it's so wonderful. And just that that panel, I love so much. The look on Superman's face, it's it's almost a smirk. It's just the, that one look says. Batman is in your base. You are screwed. He's not a character who's really known for smirking. Um, but yeah, I think he deserves it. He's kind of enjoying himself there. Uh, so then we we cut to um, the three members of the Hyper Clan trying to find a mortal. And um, they do find him. Centurion can smell something. He's not sure what it is. But they find a mortal strung up with a grappling hook with a note pinned to his clothes by Batarang that just says, I know your secret. I love Tronics. Batman, Batman took the time to write a note. Well, you know, he's he's got a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. Um and you're right, they they actually look scared for the first time. Like this is actually the first time that one of them uh, one of the hyper clan has been taken down, like properly. And it's Tronics as well. It's the fact that she of all of them was the one who seemed to revel in the violence the most in the last issue when she was fighting with Wonder Woman. She was having a great time. And now she looks panicked. And Fluxus says, I thought you said that Batman had no superpowers. And Zenturian uh, is like, call Protex. Tell him we have a problem. PJ. And then over the page. Oh, man. Ta- take the reins. <laughs> so it's Batman. And he seems to have poured something in a circle around himself. And then just from off panel, we hear, well... And Batman is surrounded. So Batman is surrounded by three three guys who all have the powers of Superman, effectively. And Tronix says, guess whose luck just ran out? Basically, they start threatening him. Um, they're going to take him apart, cell by cell. A lot of posturing. And then any last words? And then Batman does Batman. And Batman just stands there and says, one or two. Super strength, flight, invulnerability, shape changing, mind control. You're Martians, aren't you? And when you brought down my aircraft, you didn't dare. I should be doing the Batman voice, shouldn't I? Like, yeah, do uh, it. Go on, I want to hear uh, your Batman voice. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. Where's, where's the trigger? You'll never give it to an ordinary citizen. John, just, 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 just use Sorry. your own voice. Uh, okay. Uh, and when you brought down my aircraft, you didn't dare search for wreckage because of the one thing which robs your people of their powers. And then and- he shakes a little box of matches at them. <laughs> I'm just smiling like an idiot here. Um, it's just the amazing image of Batman smirking and shaking the tiniest, tiniest little box of like swan matches above his head. <laughs> it's amazing. And he just says, fire. And Tronix uh, maybe looks uh, a little cautious, but she hasn't confirmed or denied anything. And she's like, oh, that's an interesting uh, theory. Uh, are you uh, you really going to try to stop us with one 
tiny flame. Uh, you can't harm us with that. And Batman says, maybe you're right. And that is when Zenturian realises what he was smelling earlier. It he, was gasoline. And Batman flicks the match through the air. It collides with the gasoline. And suddenly an absolute wall of fire erupts around all four of them. And <laughs> they start screaming. The the Hyper Clan are screaming in terror. And we get one of my favourite images of Batman of all time. A close-up as he just crunches his own fists and says, Ready when you are. This is, to date, the most amazing Batman moment I have ever read. Yes. It is second to none, in my opinion. It is absolutely incredible. I love it so much. It's just... Oh, he's he's this is these three pages are the reason Batman is one of my favorite characters. It's yeah, and just like even you know, I think you mentioned it, PJ. Like even the fact that in this series, Morris, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Batman, kind of has a sense of humor, like in a yeah. weird way. Like it, it's not overt; it's very subtle. But even just the fact that he takes a cheeky moment to shake a box of matches, it's just so wonderfully ridiculous like it, it's it's incredible and um we don't need to see batman beating them up we know he's gonna win he's it's... batman he's the best and from that incredible moment we cut back to protex who's who, losing his cool losing his absolutely losing his mind saying like he's basically going like this is ridiculous like he's one man like what could he be doing he's only one man and Superman says, the most dangerous man on Earth. And he's, he basically says, like, you know, your, your plans are falling apart, Protex. And Protex, for the first time ever, is really just like, the, all his composure's gone. And he just kind of like smacks Superman in the face. And, so, and just basically goes, shut up. Like, you know, that's all I have at this point. Uh, he goes, look, activate the Flower of Wrath, kill the humans... Uh, and he starts summoning the ships out of orbit, basically. Uh, yeah, and basically orders them to target Earth cities, initiate Operation Hard Rain, which I imagine is is not water. Um, no. I'm going to go with destruction. Hell. Oh, no, no, you're right, destruction. Probably like, you know, real kind of um, wrath of God kind of stuff. Missiles, laser blasts, you know... Dangerous stuff, but we see we see these big uh, spaceships kind of materializing uh, out of with a little bit of Kirby crackle, kind of like out of yep. like a white a white space uh, into orbit, and um, a very nice close up of Protex, kind of just well looking gnarly for lack of a better word, uh, going seventy more of us, Superman, all with the power to level mountains, seventy more. Closing page. The gogs have come to lay waste the world. And as the ships descend out of orbit, the flower of wrath begins to close. And Protex just shouts, we win, we win. The to be end. continued. I mean, wow. Like, it's so, like, when you read it as part of a trade, which I always have, I never had the individual issues, like, 
it's an amazing chapter. Like yes. it's just it's all just part of a big, wonderful, greater picture. But like, I can't imagine having read that as an as an individual issue back in the day. Only issue three. Like this is not the crescendo of like a massive series. Like this series is like a newborn babe. Like it's only been in the world like a couple of months, and that's just it's so ballsy for lack of a better word. Like it's 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 very cinematic. It's incredible. And it's it's Morrison staking the claim early that that there's a showing why Batman's on the team again. It's just. Which is something people have questioned. Why does the Justice League need need Batman on it? And that's why. Yeah. Because he he's the detective. He he gets there. He thinks things through and just knows what's going on. I almost I almost don't need to ask PJ, but what what did you think of this issue? Uh, it wasn't very good, to be honest, John. I don't. <laughs> it's a bit overrated. To be <laughs> no, I, I I love that issue so much. The the moment where Batman confronts the three members of the Hyper Clan and just lights the match. I love that whole sequence and the battle between Flash and Zoom is stunning. I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, like two, I would say, kind of like career-defining character moments, like in one issue. Like if I'd written one of those moments and I'd had like 50 issues to do it, I'd be very, very proud of myself. Uh, The fact that two of them came in one monthly issue, like... I mean, for crying out loud, Grant, like, leave some space for the rest of us, you know? <laughs> like, the fact that most of the League aren't even in it either. You get Batman has his awesome moment, you have the Flash and Green Lantern stuff, and a little bit of Superman getting tortured. But other than that, all you see of Wonder Woman and Aquaman is them lying in the petals of the flower, and you don't see Jean at all. Yeah, no sign of Jean whatsoever. And it's... Yes, it is. it is interesting in a way that, like, even though... Definitely everyone doesn't get the same amount of screen time. Like Aquaman doesn't get a massive amount of time at all in this initial four-part run. It's interesting how much character for all of them comes across, despite the fact that we're not spending the same amount of time with each yeah. of them. Like certainly, like as I was, if you were if you were brand new to this series, if you'd only if you'd only seen Batman cartoons and Superman cartoons and you're only like culturally aware of Wonder Woman, which is basically where I was, like I still feel that I I'm getting to know these characters pretty well. Like I'm getting the dynamic right out the gate. But also can't Batman's dialogue in this issue, when you read it, can't you just hear it in Kevin Conroy's voice? Oh my god. I just yeah, it's like this is for me the quintessential Batman. Like uh, I'm sorry for everyone else, uh, everyone who came after. I-, I I cannot speak to 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 every incarnation of Batman, but this is my Batman, like, yeah. and this is him at his absolute peak. It's just oh, it's masterful. Like artwork, execution, storytelling, lovely. Like the the everything comics should be. I feel. It's, and it sets us up for um, what is going to prove to be, I think, a rather good ending to this storyline. Oh yeah, I mean, like the the pieces are all in play. I mean, and I've got to, I've got to say quickly, like the 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 time we spend with Kyle and Wally is very is time well spent. Yes, as definitely, well. definitely. Like certainly when they are the new guns, they're the young guns, and. Kyle is 
a relatively new character, there may there's also maybe like a bit of a sentiment around can you ever replace Barry Allen? That sort of thing. So they're the two characters with a lot to prove. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Wally's been the Flash a little while at this point, but there's still that legacy he's he's trying to live up to. He's always going to be trying to live up to. Um, and yeah, Kyle, he never met. He, he would later on, but he never met Hal Jordan at this point. It's, it's purely he's there. He's aware that there was Green Lantern. Obviously, he knew Green Lantern. Everybody was aware of the guy. Mm. But the fact that he suddenly is Green Lantern, and at this point, he has, yeah, as you say, he hasn't been for very long at all. It's all still new to him. It's that weird kind of meta thing where they're like, they're proving themselves to the team, but I guess they're also kind of proving themselves to the audience, like very much to the wider kind of fandom i suppose to prove that they can be worthy successors to what came before um and i've got i've got to say like i know i i know grant morrison is sometimes pigeonholed as being the weird guy you know like like his his style is that he writes weird and abstract and crazy things which 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 is true like he definitely has a you know he has areas that interest him but I think people forget, like, he is very good with character development. Like, very good with kind of little moments of heart between yeah. people. Like, um, I, I I love his run on Doom Patrol. Yes. Uh, which is seen as, like, the pinnacle of surrealist weird comics. But it's also got some incredibly heartbreaking moments in it. Like, just between characters like that's the stuff that sticks with you yeah and you you get those character moments in this you get the kyle wally stuff you get some more of the superman batman relationship in that one panel where after protex is saying batman's just a man and you get the close-up on superman that sums up their relationship that one panel brilliantly yeah it's it's really good i mean now you know you know there'll be time to shine a light on some of the other heroes as we go but yeah, I think where they chose to spend this issue is 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 reflective of you know the relationships, the the key relationships at the heart of this series, like the old friendship between Batman and Superman, and this new developing friendship between Flash and and uh, and Kyle. Like it's it's nice in a way. Again, it's not to say, of course, that that some of the weird Morrison out there stuff won't come in later on, because it does. Oh, he yeah. does bring in some weird stuff, and it's great when he does. But I, I like that for this first one, it's it's a very straight superhero story, really. There's it's it's not too out there or anything like that. And he concentrates on to start with. Sort of, you, you get more Batman, Superman in this arc, and Flash, Green Lantern. Later on, you will get all of the characters and everything. But he concentrates really on on. He, he he hooks you with the big guns, mm. and yeah, just hot damn! Like I, I I like I said, I I love where the series went, but at the same time, I wish this time could have lasted forever. Like this kind of just wonderful early days of the series when it was just the Magnificent Seven doing impossible stuff on a daily basis. But oh, we only have one issue left in this storyline, John. Ah, oh, but you know, I can't wait to get. I, Look, okay, looking forward to finishing this arc and very much looking forward to the next one because American Dreams holds a very special place in my heart <laughs> as well. 
Um, PJ, have we have we exhausted this avenue of pleasure? I think other than me gushing over Batman, yeah, we probably have. I mean, we could, again, we'll, we'll put that in the to-do list as like another <laughs> spin-off title where we just kiss Batman's ass for like 90 <laughs> minutes at a time. Um, but no, I guess we, we should... Uh, we should maybe call it a day and wait for the exciting conclusion to our first arc as a podcast and I guess also the very first arc of the JLA. I mean, I don't I wouldn't like to call us heroes, but I think history may judge us, you and I, as such. I think we're heroes. I'll call us heroes. We're we're big damn heroes. <laughs> yeah, we really, you know, we deserve this. Yeah, we're we're doing well. Um PJ, I realised we we you know we should do that thing that podcasters do um pj if people like you or want to kind of see your work or you know check out some of your stuff where where should they go i mean seems unlikely but okay (laughs) um you can find me on twitter at pj montgomery um that's really the best place to go that's where i will post about stuff that i do sometimes cool Yep, there we go. Nice. Uh, and well, likewise, I'm on Twitter at John Locke Comics. And uh, yeah, you can also find Farmer Scuff at um, BigPunchStudios.com. There's links to everything, including after I think, from there. Uh, let's also give a shout out to our theme tune. Oh, uh, yes. Which we didn't have when we recorded the last few episodes. So uh, that's why it wasn't mentioned then. But that was uh, composed and performed by Elliot Red, who you can found on, find on SoundCloud. Ooh. Very nice. Thank you, Elliot. And uh, I guess a shout out to Gav Mitchell for our amazing cover artwork as well. And you can find him on Twitter and I think Instagram as Bob Goblin. B-O-B-G-O-B-L-Y-N-N. I'll um I'll put links in the description or something. We'll there we we'll, go. we'll make it official. Um PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, uh, John. Always fun talking to you about the Justice League. How how are we gonna sign off this week? We're still working that out, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I think let's... we had keep on trucking last week. Yeah. Uh, what is it Batman says when he's crunching his fists? Ready when you are? That's not a good sign-off, is it? No. Um, um, uh, I don't, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm struggling I got here. it. I got it. Okay. Flash fact. You've been listening to the JLA cast. Page one of the issue, bit of a tease. It, it it's basically kicks off exactly where last issue left off with the Martians having. I've just revealed it. PJ, shush, PJ, uh, shush. The the Hyper Clan. Who are they? Who knows? The Hyper Clan. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. <laughs> We've done remarkably well at kind of like maintaining the facade. Oh no, don't. We'll fix it in post. No one will hear this. Excellent. Good to know. You'll stick it in the outtakes at the end, won't you? Oh, of course. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. This, this is no one's listening to this bit. I swear, you know, no one is hearing this right now. I'll take that from the top.